The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. You can join us live Saturday nights at 6 p.m., Sunday mornings at 9, 10.30, or 12, or you can join us online at cityrev.org. If you're watching online, glad that you're with us. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at City Rev. And uh, for those online, just so you know, John and Naomi, they're hosting our live stream today. They'll take care of you. Make sure you say hi in the chat. Let us know where you are coming from. Uh, but want to just turn your attention, if you have a Bible, to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. That's where we're going to be. So if you want to open uh, your scripture over there, 2 Chronicles 26, or you can follow along on the screen as well. Uh, we're going to spend some time looking at the conclusion of this chapter that we started last week. So if you missed last week, fear not, we'll catch you up, uh, but that's on our archive online as well. Uh, while you're turning there, recently I went ice skating a few days ago, and I was with family uh, over the holiday, enjoying uh, some Christmas celebrations, and so while we were ice skating, I was teaching my four-year-old son, Hudson, how to ice skate, and that's different these days. They have these little scooters that you can kind of like skate with that are like training wheels for ice skating, so I got him on that, but then eventually I kind of helped him learn how to ice skate, walk without it, and it was, it was fun. We had a good time, so I spent a good deal of time with Hudson, and then finally when he was too tired and he was done, there was a little bit time left for the open skate. So I thought, all right, this is daddy time now. And so this is where I like, you know, make sure my straps are nice and tight. And I start like zipping around the ice rink. Now, I was with family. I have some brothers-in-law uh, that are awesome, amazing guys. And uh, sometimes we get a little competitive. And so I tried to, you know, do my best to skate as as quickly as I could. I even challenged them to a race. They wouldn't take me up on it. But I was like zipping around, going crazy, going crazy, and I fell multiple times. Uh, there was one time I tried to do like a, like a figure skating trick. It did not end well. Uh, and then at the end, there was like three minutes left before the open skate would come to a close. And so I thought, all right, this is my last chance. I'm just going to go as fast as I can until they kick me off this rink. And so that's what I did. And because we were wearing masks and I'm apparently more out of shape than I'd like to think. By the end of it, I was winded, I felt gross, I was dehydrated, and I was miserable for the next hour. Uh, so today we're talking about pride. And so Second Chronicles 26 is going to open us up and talk about this topic. And he, here's why I share that story. I think in small ways and in big ways, we all deal with pride. Sometimes it's a silly situation, an ice skating rink. Other times it's a bigger deal with bigger consequences. It's a relatable topic. In fact, if you're someone who you're like, oh, that's, this is, I can tune out on this one. We'll have, we can have a discussion later, okay? We, we all have this issue of pride pop up in our lives. And we started journeying through 2 Chronicles chapter 26 last week. And we were introduced to a guy by the name of Uzziah. Uzziah was a king and he was a very successful king. He was king in Judah, and Uzziah, we're told, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. God helped him. And earlier on in the chapter, we read about how Uzziah accomplished all of these military feats. He had developed new technologies that weren't in existence before. Uzziah was also this agriculture farmer type. He loved the soil, so he had vineyards spread out throughout his kingdom. Uh, Uzziah was such an incredible leader that he built up the nation of Judah to heights it hadn't seen in generations. I mean, he's an incredible, incredible leader. And 2 Chronicles 26, after outlining all of Uzziah's successes, 
And after the author tells us God was the one who was empowering his success, God put favor on Uzziah's life. It's like everything he touched turned to gold. Well, we read some sobering verses about Uzziah's life when things take a turn for the worse, starting in verse 15. Look at what it says here, 2 Chronicles chapter 26, starting in verse 15. In Jerusalem, Uzziah, he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped until he was strong. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, and he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor, and they withstood King Uzziah, and they said to him, it's not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah, the chief priests, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly, and he hurried himself out to go out, because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, and being a leper, lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, from the first to the last... Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, wrote, And Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the burial field that belonged to the kings, for they said, He's a leper. And Jotham his son reigned in his place. So goes the downfall of the great king Uzziah. Last week we spent some time looking at Uzziah's successes. And we talked about how we often don't think about how success is something we have to carefully steward. That success brings along with it a certain set of temptations that if we don't give attention to them, we can fall prey to them. A success can start leading us to believe that we've accomplished and we deserve and no one else could have done what we did and we start to get this sense of entitlement. Success can whisper these lies that aren't true about who we are and they did for Uzziah. Uzziah, who was helped by God, empowered by God, We're told as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. But at one point in Uzziah's life, his strength became his most most blaring weakness. His strength became the, the area of his life that the enemy used to prod and expose, to instill this pride in his heart that fueled him and boiled up in him. And so we just read here in 2 Chronicles 26, the latter part of this chapter, we read the primary act, the example that's given of how Uzziah fell, how his pride caused destruction in his life. And we're going to break this down. So uh, if you have a place to take notes, I want to give you a bit of an outline on how we're going to approach this passage, the way we're going to divide it up. So number one, here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to first define pride. We'll talk about what is pride. Secondly, we're going to look and see how pride destroys you. And then third, we're going to see how you can destroy pride. Those are the three areas we're going, what it is, 
how it destroys you, how you destroy it. Let's talk about what pride is. Look with me again at verse 16. Verse 16. It says, but when Uzziah was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and they said to him, It's not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Now, we read this. And because this is such a different world than the world we're used to, like priests, temples, incense. Are we talking about those like sticks with smoke that kind of goes off, makes it smell good in the room or bad depending on your taste, okay? What's happening here in this passage? Well, there are multiple layers to what Uzziah just did. He went into the temple. He went to the altar of incense in the holy place. And he offered these incense. He started to burn incense and he's confronted by these priests. Now, first and foremost, layer number one, okay, here's what's wrong with what Uzziah did. Number one, Uzziah just disobeyed God. It wasn't for him to go in. This is what the priests confront him about. That's not his job. It was explicit in the law who was the person, who were the people that were to go in and offer incense to the Lord. It was the priests, the sons of Aaron. And so here come some priests, they confront Uzziah about this. So on the surface, it's just disobedience to God. He's breaking one of God's commands. But it's deeper than that. It goes further than that because not only is this a breaking of one of God's commands, this is also a repetition of one of Israel's most notoriously heinous sins of its past. Uzziah is walking in the steps of someone who came before him who committed something. And we find out about it in Numbers chapter 16. There's a gentleman by the name of Korah. And Korah, in Numbers chapter 16, he's a Levite. So he's one of the sons of the priestly tribe, but he's not a son of Aaron. And so it's not his job to minister in the tabernacle, which was the predecessor of the temple. It's not his job to minister and offer incense in the holy place. His job is to tend to the needs outside the tabernacle. Well, Korah goes up to Moses and Aaron, who were the leaders at the time in number 16, and Korah starts accusing the leaders of the people, saying, hey, why is it that only you guys are the ones that get to go serve before the Lord? Why can't I, why can't the rest of us, who are you to say what we can and can't do? Moses and Aaron, they look back at Korah and say, no, Korah, you're misunderstanding. That's not for us to decide. We were consecrated to do this work by God. God gave us this calling and God gave you a calling. Is it not enough for you, Korah, that you have the privilege and honor of serving God at his tabernacle in this other way? That you would require more? That you would seek the priesthood? So there's this confrontation. And then Korah gets angry. He riles up this crowd of people who are on his side. There's this threat of rebellion. And what ends up happening is a test. So God has... Uh, Korah and his people assemble with their censers to burn incense, and Moses and Aaron are there as well. Eleazar, Aaron's son. And right there in this exchange, all of a sudden, as there's this test, it says the glory of the Lord appears. God manifests himself in his full presence right there in their midst. And then what ends up happening, as they're standing to offer these incense, the ones who insist, we can do it too, a gaping hole opens in the ground. 
and swallows up Korah and his company alive, and the hole closes up over them. It is a dramatic story. And then in Numbers chapter 16, verses 39 through 40, we're told not just a command for how people should proceed after this story, we're also told what the priest of the time, Eleazar, what he did with the instruments that those individuals were holding, what they did with the censers. Look at this, number 16, verse 39. It says, so Eleazar, one of Aaron's sons, the priest, took the bronze censers, which those who were burned had offered, and they were hammered out as a covering for the altar, the altar of incense, to be a reminder to the people of Israel that no outsider who is not of the descendants of Aaron should draw near to burn incense before the Lord, lest he become like Korah and his company, as the Lord said to him through Moses." So follow this. They take the the bronze that was used in those censers and they create a cover for the altar of incense. And it says that Eleazar sets this up and it's to be this reminder so that God's people for all time would know that it is only for Aaron and his sons to offer incense. And so if somehow they had the nerve to walk into the holy place, which was not their job to do, that's for the priests, and they waltz up to the altar of incense, they get close enough, they might see that lid and turn away as a last resort reminder, hey, this is not for you. And so in walks big bad King Uzziah, accomplished king, successful king, powerful king, famous king. People all the way in Egypt knew about King Uzziah. And King Uzziah, who's grown strong and in his strength has become proud, decides that he can go into the temple, into the holy place. And that he can go in and burn and offer incense. And so what you see happening, Uzziah isn't just disobeying God. He is recommitting a sin of his people's past that is notorious, that he would have known about, that was the very reason that cover over the altar was there in the first place. And he waltzes on in. Uzziah here, not only is this an act of disobedience, a repetition of a previous sin, this is also an outward manifestation of Uzziah's inner life. What do I mean by that? We're told by the chronicler, the narrator, we're given a clue as to what's happening inside Uzziah. We're given a clue as to what's happening in his life, in his heart, and in his inner life, in his soul. Uzziah's become filled with pride. And what does pride look like? This case study in pride, known as Uzziah's story, manifests itself in this action. You see, many of the things that we do, the wrongs that we do, the sins people commit, we often just isolate the act and think, how, how did they do that? I'll tell you how. An inner life that has been cut off from God. An inner life that thinks itself God. See, here's what pride is. Pride, ultimately, is living like your authority is above God's authority. Pride is living like your authority is above God's authority. So here's Uzziah, who on the inside, after all of his successes, now believes himself to decide what is right and wrong for Uzziah. So he goes in and he goes to offer incense at the altar, even though that was not his lane. Was not for him to do. You see, Uzziah has become the type of man, his inner life 
his pride that's ruling and reigning in his heart, he has become the type of man that would walk into the temple and offer incense to the Lord, knowing good and well that was not for him to do. See, pride, it has this way, it convinces us we're in authority above God. He walks in, and I want you just to notice, don't miss this detail. For Uzziah, pride did not look like, you know, leaving the Lord and starting to worship idols. There are other kings that abandon the Lord. They worship the Baals. There are other kings. They set up other altars to other gods, abandon faith in the Lord. That's not Uzziah. No, Uzziah's big sin was deeply spiritual. It's possible to be doing a very religious thing and be very fueled with pride. Uzziah's great act of pride was masquerading in religious costume. He goes into the temple to offer incense, something that was not for him to do, presuming that he could just because of who he is. I'm King Uzziah. Do you know what I've done? Do you realize who I am? All that I've accomplished? See, spiritual activity and religious activity does not equal faithfulness to the Lord. It's not that though those are tit for tat, that if you are spiritually active, doing religion, it's possible. In fact, Jesus spent much of his ministry rebuking the religious elite of the time who were clothed in spirituality, were all about their religious rituals, and yet their heart was raging with pride. And so Uzziah goes in and fueled by pride, he offers incense before the Lord Pride is ultimately living like your authority is above God's. Now here's second, how pride destroys you. Let's talk about how it destroys you. That's what it is. Here's how it destroys you. Look at verse 19. Verse 19, he continues and says this. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked at him and behold, it repeats, he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly and he himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. Let's talk a little bit about leprosy for a moment. So we're all on the same page. Leprosy in the Bible is a category for a whole host of different types of skin, skin diseases. And so uh, different types of rashes, skin diseases, commonly it would look as though your skin was falling apart, like it was wilting and wasting away. And Uzziah is in this moment, he's struck with leprosy. And all throughout the Old Testament, there's these series of laws that God's people are given for how to deal with leprosy. Leprosy, if someone had leprosy, they would be unclean. Not only that, but they would make anyone they come into contact with unclean. And so if you happen to be uh, hanging out somewhere and someone had leprosy and you sat on the same couch that person had just sat on, then they had this whole set of rituals that they had to walk through so they can be removed from their uncleanness. Leprosy was this picture of defilement. It separated you and isolated you from the people. You couldn't be in the community. You lived outside the camp. So what's happening here with Uzziah? He goes into the temple. He burnt, goes to offer incense. The priests... They go to Uzziah and they confront him. Azariah says, it's not for you, Uzziah. The priests, the sons of Aaron are consecrated. God set us apart for this. This is not for you to do, Uzziah. It will bring you no honor from God. 
And what does Uzziah do? He gets enraged. He's incensed. The Hebrew word there in our New Testament that we get angry from is a word that describes rage. It's not his nerves were touched. He's not somewhat like frustrated. No, he is enraged that they would dare and have the audacity to confront King Uzziah. Do they realize who he is? He's the king. They know all that he's accomplished, all that he's done, and Uzziah, enraged, gets struck with leprosy. What's happening here is God striking him with leprosy in the forehead is providing a physical picture of the inner life of Uzziah so that his outward, uh, his outward expression and physical appearance looks like the dying man that he is on the inside. And he's struck there, right there, so that no amount of religious clothing, his, his kingly attire, can't mask and hide what's right there on his face. So he's struck with leprosy. So how does pride destroy you? There are a few ways pride destroys you that are described here in this passage. Here's the first one. Number one, it blurs moral lines that were once clear. How does pride destroy you? Well, it blurs moral lines that were once clear to you. If you were to ask Uzziah, maybe a decade before this, maybe a few years before this, we're told earlier on in this chapter that Uzziah had a mentor, a man by the name of Zechariah, who taught him in the fear and instruction of the Lord. We were told earlier in the chapter that as long as Uzziah sought the Lord and he did seek the Lord, God made him prosper. If you were to ask Uzziah a few years earlier, hey Uzziah, do you think you would ever go into the temple and in the footsteps of Korah, remember him, would you ever go and offer incense? Uzziah would have said, there's no chance. I would never dare to do something like that. And yet step by step, success after success, unchecked, brought strength that led to pride, whereby Uzziah set his own rules. The moral lines that were once clear for Uzziah have become blurry. And so, because he's King Uzziah, he can go into the temple now, and he can do what he knows is not according to God's law, but what is somebody going to do to him? I mean, his authority is above God's. What's somebody going to do, even if he gets caught? Of course he's going to get, get caught. There are priests everywhere in the temple. How could he not get caught? Doesn't matter. He's King Uzziah. Those moral lines get blurred. You, when you get this pride fueling you and, and being your compass inside of you, you start to rationalize things that were once completely out of bounds and that you never would imagine entertaining. He goes through this and does this erratic act He's ultimately out of touch with reality. Uzziah is completely lost. Up is down and down is up. He's completely blurred his vision. It's blurred those moral lines that were once clear. Here's the second way it destroys you. Pride makes you angry at the truth. Pride makes you angry at the truth. I want you to remember the sequence of events. As they take place, Uzziah goes in to burn incense. The priests see what he's doing. And these men of valor, these courageous men, go to confront the strong, famous king Uzziah. And Uzziah is given an opportunity to humble himself. 
I mean, at this moment, when the priests come to him and say, Uzziah, it's not for you to do this. Uzziah, in that moment, has an opportunity to say, you're right. My goodness, I'm, I'm, I can't believe I did this. I'm, I'm wrong. Lord, forgive me. Uzziah is given an opportunity for repentance. In fact, later in our time together, we're going to have a, a corporate opportunity for us to confess and repent areas where pride is in our hearts. But think about the mercy and grace of God that he would still pursue Uzziah, sending these priests to say, Uzziah, it's not for you. But what does Uzziah do with his opportunity? To humble himself, to make it right. He gets enraged. Pride, when it takes root in our hearts, it turns the very thing that can bring healing to our pride into our ultimate enemy. I think of my son, whenever he gets a splinter, he went this, uh, through this phase where it was like, I don't know, every other week he'd get a splinter. And he'd run around the house in pain, crying. I'm like, buddy, come over here. And I'd be chasing him with tweezers, right? About to do minor surgery on him. And I'd finally get him to sit down and I'd start barely even touching him and he would scream and run away again. I mean, it's whole fiasco, round and round and round. And what's happening in that moment is the thing that's actually going to help free him and heal him, he's more terrified of that. It's the way that pride works. When we're full of pride, when we believe our authority is above God's authority, when someone confronts us, when we are blessed enough to have someone like Azariah in our life, pride can turn that friend into an enemy. He's enraged. How dare you even question me? Pride has this way of turning what's up, down, what's down, up, blinding us to the truth and making the truth our enemy. You've probably experienced it in your own life where when someone you love has come to you and said, hey, listen, I see this in your life. It's not good. And yet the very thing that they're trying to help save you from, you start to turn it on them and feel like they're the enemy. That's why some people refuse to get help when they need help the most. They're fueled by pride. And God in his grace sends someone, in his compassion sends someone who cares enough to say, hey, I see this in you. This is not for you. And pride fuels anger. How dare you? Pride, it blurs lines that were once clear. It makes you angry at the truth. And then finally, it repels the people around you makes you repulsive to them. Pride ultimately manifested itself in Uzziah's life with leprosy. In fact, in the Old Testament, leprosy is this physical picture of pride. We see it in a man named Naaman's story and how pride is healed in his life as he humbles himself. So pride is picture, is outward. Leprosy is this outward picture of pride. Isolates Uzziah for the rest of his life. He remains a leper we're told he's buried outside the city, away from where the other kings are buried, because he's a leper, because he's defiling. See, this is the way that pride works. Pride ultimately repels and excludes and removes us from the people we love. It brings damage and carnage to the people closest to us. And it separates and it isolates C.S. Lewis in his chapter on pride and mere Christianity talks about how pride is different from the other vices, from the other sins that are so tempting. Pride, instead of other sins, where maybe another type of 
sin struggle that you might have might have some company to it, might have some people that you indulge in that sin with, but pride is different in that pride always brings enmity. If you're too busy having more authority than God, you have no place to have relationship with others. Others who you will just look down on. That when pride takes root, we feel ourselves superior to them. Pride separates, it isolates, it did for Uzziah. It blurs moral lines that were once clear. It makes you angry at the truth and it repels the people around you. And everything fell apart from Uzziah. And the lie is that Uzziah believed and that we fall prey to. Yeah, but it'll never happen to me. Yeah, but that, that's not going to happen to me. And if we're in it and we're already acting in pride and being ruled by pride, then it's, yeah, but I won't get caught. It won't all fall apart for me. It all came tumbling down for Uzziah. And so the question then becomes, how do you destroy it? If that's how pride destroys you, how do you destroy pride? What does that look like? Well, look with me, verse 21. Verse 21. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper, he lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. How do you destroy pride? Uh, well, for Uzziah, the way pride ended in his life is he died. That's how pride is destroyed, death. For Uzziah, like many of the other kings who failed before him and who failed after him, you read through the story of First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings, it is a story of failed kings who often die in a worse place than where they started. See, the only way to kill pride is, is death itself. And so generations after King Uzziah, people, someone from the family lineage of Uzziah, another fellow son of David, would come, and he's a king, but not a king in the sense that Uzziah was a king. He's a different type of king. And this great, 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 many times great grandson of King Uzziah would come and start speaking things like this. He'd say, hey, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, you must first deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And if you want to be a part of my kingdom, that means that you must renounce all that you have in order to follow me. If you want to find your life, you must first lose your life. Because for whoever wants to find his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, King Jesus came along and succeeded everywhere Uzziah failed, and he comes proclaiming this message of repentance that essentially invites people to come to him and die. To take your pride, to take your desires, your agenda, your pursuit, your pride, and to die and find life in him. Here's how it puts it in Romans chapter 6. Look with me, verse 5. Romans chapter 6, we'll put it on the screen. He says this, this is the Apostle Paul. For if we've been united with Jesus in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. 
Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. So Jesus, the descendant of King Uzziah, comes along. And just as Uzziah, his fame spread far, Jesus, his fame spread even further. And though Uzziah had all these accomplishments, it doesn't even come close to the accomplishments of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. But in all of his success, in all of the miracles he performed, in everything he taught, in all of the crowds that surrounded him, Jesus never once stopped giving glory to the Father. Totally dependent on his Father. And this Jesus would go on and be crucified on a cross where he took the death that our pride deserves. And anyone who trusts in Jesus dies that death with Jesus. Pride, sin, being crucified, nailed to that cross along with the Son of God. And he raises us up from death. It's kind of like tandem skydiving, I like to think of it. So one time I went skydiving and there was someone who has jumped out of planes, I don't know how many hundreds of times, thousand times. And the way that it works is this individual, he strapped myself to him, put these whole straps around me, tightened me up, and we were attached. We were united. And in that moment, my life and destiny was linked to his life and destiny. His performance and his ability to pull that chute, I was saying, I'm trusting my life in your hands. Romans chapter 6, it teaches that the person who believes in Jesus who has received Jesus by faith, what has happened is they have said, I am uniting my life to Jesus. My life and destiny is tied to him. I repent. I turn from living my own way. I turn from my pride. I die to myself. And I take up new life in Jesus. God's in authority, not me. And when a person puts their trust in Jesus, there's this moment, an initial moment of faith, of salvation. There's an initial moment when you believe for the first time and Jesus straps you to himself and you're united to him. So you share in his resurrection, his victory over sin and death becomes your victory over sin and death. You're reconciled to your creator and as Jesus is the son of God, God looks at you and calls you his beloved child. There's that initial moment of saving faith, but Romans chapter 6 makes clear. It says in in verse 11, it says, Therefore, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. It's both a single moment in your life where you trust in Jesus and a present posture that continues throughout your life. So that in every moment, at every turn, with every breath, I am dead to sin and I'm alive to Jesus now. I am dead to my pride now and I'm alive to Jesus now and tomorrow and the next day and the next day on end. Martin Luther famously said, the entire Christian life is one of repentance. All of what it means to follow Jesus can be summed up with this idea of repentance, a dying to self that we might take up his new life. Confessing our pride and our sin before our savior and receiving his welcoming, gracious embrace that calls us his beloved.
There may be some of you here right now that right now in your life, it might be the initial bud, the initial root of pride starting to surface above the ground and starting to wreak havoc in your life. At the start of a new year, there is an opportunity for repentance for you today. For you, believer in Jesus, to die to yourself again daily and to take up the new life that Jesus so graciously gave you when you were united to him. There's some in this room that it's not just the bud. Pride has taken hold. In fact, you, when we talked about the ways in which lines that were once blurry, lines that were once clear can become blurry, you can relate. You know exactly the things that maybe a few years ago, maybe a few months ago, you would have said, no, that's never me. I would never do that. And now you hear thoughts in your mind like, I actually deserve this. I need this. It's okay for me to do this. And maybe even someone has come to you to try and help you and you have pushed them away in anger. See, the biggest moral failures in people's lives, it's not that one day they wake up and decide, you know what, today I'm gonna commit fraud. More often than not, it's not somebody waking up one day and say, you know what, I, I'm gonna steal from my company today. To, or today I'm gonna decide to ruin my family and cheat on my spouse. I've decided today. More often not than not, those failures, those moral lines that were once clear have become blurry step by step Pride doing its rationalizing, excusing, entitling work. And God wants to save you from that. He wants you to find freedom from that. And no matter how deep the pride runs, it's never too far or too lost for the grace of God to reconcile and redeem. There's always an opportunity for grace but it starts by bringing it out in the light. It starts in a moment of honesty. It starts in a moment of coming before the Lord and walking in the truth and agreeing with God, you're king, I'm not. And the gracious voice of your heavenly father calls out to you today at the start of a new year and says, I want you to die to yourself because I have better life for you than you can plan for yourself. I want to free you from being enslaved to your own passions and your own plans so that you might be a vehicle of blessing and grace to the people around you. God has purposes for you. Good works that he's prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. He's calling you into the light. So as we close now, I just want to give us an opportunity to go before God in repentance and turn to him. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes right there where you are? Those watching online as well, have a quiet moment there between you and God. And then I just wanna invite you, if you would say in a moment of honesty, I, I need that initial moment of belief. I need to unite to Jesus. I, I wanna turn 
to him. I wanna trust in him. I wanna be forgiven of my sins. If that's you and today you're ready to put your trust in your king, then right there, wherever you are, you can pray something like this to God from your heart. You can say, God, I put my trust in you. God, I turn from my pride. I die to myself. And Jesus, I declare you are Lord. I believe you died for me. And Jesus, I believe you rose for me. And that now I'm united to you. That I am yours and you are mine. Then for those of us in this room who are believers, with your head bowed, eyes closed, those watching online, I wanna give you an opportunity. If you would, in a moment of honesty, have a courageous way to go before the Lord and say, God, I, I have pride that's working in my life, that's ruling over me. And if today you're saying, I wanna die to that. I want freedom from that. I want, I want this year to be different. I don't wanna be held captive to that anymore. Jesus, I lay my life down. If that's you, there's an area of pride in your heart that you're wanting to say, Jesus, would you tear this down today? Would you just slip your hand up? Whether you're here in this room, watching online, would you just slip your hand up and say, God, that's me. I, I need you to tear this down. I can't, I need you. Father in heaven, I pray for those with hands raised in this room and around the world watching. Lord, we, we are your sons and daughters. We are glorious works in progress. And right now, we collectively, we confess we need you. We don't have it all together. We're not in authority, you are. And so, Father, I pray that this would be a turning point and a moment of freedom, a moment of grace and release, a moment of walking in newness of life for your children who today are doing what the enemy hates, bringing out into the light what was hidden in darkness. Father, I pray for those in this room that have pride working in their life and they know it. For those who are watching and listening who have pride working in their heart and they know it and they've believed the lie that they can't bring it out into the light. They're held captive to the enemy's attacks, the accuser who wants to keep them in that bondage, keep them out of touch with reality, convinced that they're their own God. Lord, would you break through that? Would you bring healing? Would you humble us and help us to see that following you, following you, coming to you, not afraid to hide our weakness is true freedom. It's true joy. It's peace with you. May we be that kind of people. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, if that was a decision you made today, I want to invite you wherever you are, go to cityrev.org slash faith. You can pull that link up on your phone. And if you made a decision to follow Jesus, we want to send you a Bible. We'd love to put one in the mail, send it to you. If you're here, we have Bibles in the guest services. We'd love to give you a Bible and help you start this journey of following after Jesus being grounded in his word. So we're gonna close our time now with a song. And so I wanna invite all of us here in a moment as we sing, 
would you just let go? Would you ask God, make this your prayer before him and offer up that trusting that he brings forgiveness and peace? Would you stand with us and let's close in song. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.